0: Well, hello there, you beautiful Seven Figure Millennials podcast listener. I hope you are having a fantastic day and welcome to another episode of the Seven Figure Millennials podcast, where it is my job to help you to prioritize your happiness, health, and relationships while making your biggest entrepreneurial dreams a reality. I am on my way to Seven Figures myself and sharing with you what's working from the incredible guests that are showing up on my show. But before we dive into today's content, I wanted to give a pre-show listener shout out to A. Lucas Aaron, who left a review saying, already seeing results from what I learned here. i find great insights, valuable and actionable tips and tricks, and overall life advice in every single episode. I'm grateful I found this podcast when it was just released because I know Brandon is going great places with it. He's a natural storyteller and a great host, pulling interesting insights from his guests and his own life, highly recommended. So thank you so, so much, A, Lucas, Aaron, and I really appreciate the review. And if you are listening to my voice right now and you haven't left a review yet, please take a second to do that. Not only do I read it, it really makes my day, but I might give you a shout out in a Future episode, and it helps other people to discover the show. So, with that out of the way, today's guest is Joshua Shaffrin. You may not know Joshua Shaffron's name, but chances are good you do indirectly know his work because he's the brains behind a number of businesses and marketing innovations that are now industry standards. We dive into some of those things today in this episode, like how Joshua was actually the inventor of the one-click upsell, and that he was actually the founder of the Two Comic Club, which was a newsletter in 2006, and he has since sold the name to someone you have probably heard of. But any anyway, Anyways, going back to his bio, Joshua is often referred to as a reclusive marketing master because of his low-key approach to business development. Joshua is at his best when he's taking an idea and turning it into a thriving multi-million dollar business starting from scratch. His business credits include a startup he helped grow from zero sales to over $50 million, which is why industry insiders nicknamed him the $50 million man. And just a few of Joshua's many breakthroughs helped turn a $2 million company into a $19 million business in 18 months. In this episode, you're gonna learn three crazy things. Number one, why in 2009, after spending five days with billionaire Richard Branson on his private island and he was supposed to be quote unquote successful, he got back from that vacation and realized he hated his life and decided to shut down his entire business and what he learned from that crazy experience. Number two, how you can use heart share marketing. This is Joshua's distillation of marketing knowledge as one of the pioneers in the industry, so keep a close eye out for that. And number three, his A2A framework and how you You can go from being a stranger to your target market to becoming a trusted advisor. And one more quick thing before we dive in, we kick things off in this episode by talking about a story of Fred, the flat headed flea. And before I introduce that with Joshua, I really challenge you to think about how you could potentially see yourself relating to Fred. So with that kind of strange piece of advice, please enjoy this action packed and incredible conversation with my new friend, the one and only Mr. Joshua Shafran. My name is Brandon Fong, and welcome to the Seven Bigger Millennials podcast. All right, well, Mr. Joshua Shaffrin, welcome to the podcast. I'm super excited to have you here,
1: man. Uh, Brandon, I am I am super excited myself, and and uh, have been looking forward to this since we chatted about a month month and a half ago. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I thought that since this is kind of one of
0: the ways that you start with explaining things, I thought this would be a great place to start, and it's something that people will be like, "What the heck did he just say?" So I figured it'd be a kind of a fun place to start. Is can you please tell who Fred the
1: flat-headed flea is? Who is he, and why is he flat-headed? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Fred used to have a normal head, and actually, <laughs> I blame Fred for a lot of things in life, and perhaps. Um, uh, you might too, but I, I you know, like it, it's the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing, how I'm doing it, and and where it all comes to uh, comes comes out of. But Fred used to have a normal head. He was a normal flea. He was just walking down the street minding his own business. and then out of nowhere, um some evil uh, entity outside fate stepped in and pulled him in and put him in a mason jar and put a lid on it. And now Fred, being Fred and he was a super jumper, you know, top in his class, his coach, you know, won all the awards and everything. So Fred (laughs) starts jumping and he bangs his head into the lid and bangs his head into the lid. And um, eventually he goes, wow, that hurts. But, you know, the way that he's been programmed and the way that, you know, like winners never quit and quitters never win. And so he keeps on, you know, he now double times it and boom, boom, boom. Then all of a sudden he starts thinking about all of the pain that's going on, and he's like, you know, like he starts blaming everybody else for the pain that's going on, but he doesn't see that it's kind of self-inflicted, right? Not kind of, it is self-inflicted. And the interesting thing about it is that um, he uh, uh, flattens his head, but all of this this previous programming that you know, his parents and his preacher, teacher, coaches, all of the the outside influences that were programming him as to what to do, they that it conditioned him, he couldn't see that he was the the source of his pain. So what he did was he's like, aha. You know, I had this uh, eureka moment and uh, this uh, unfortunately was after his uh, head was already flat and he had cracked his skull (laughs) inside. Um, Maybe that epiphany was uh, pain induced. Um, But he said to himself, well, if I just stop jumping as high as the lid once was, you know, or the the lid is, then I won't feel the pain anymore. And in less Mm -hmm. than three jumps, he trained himself to continue to jump and, you know, not smack into the lid and all of a sudden no pain. But the interesting thing was, is that because he couldn't quit on himself, he couldn't give up, he, his identity became jumping because he couldn't, you know, like he didn't like being in captivity. We all want our freedom, right? We don't want to be stuck in any, any uh, box, so to speak, or, or jar in his case. And um, we, end up, uh, so he he ends up continuing to jump, and he but he jumps even h- faster and higher, but he's only jumping as high as the lid is. Mm-hmm. Then fate comes along and steps in again and takes the lid off the jar. And the interesting thing about it is he'd say, well, you know, I'm out. Like he, because he, he's perfectly capable of jumping out. He's got the ability. I mean, that's the, the reason why he got his flat head to begin with. Yeah. He was able but, to do it before. <laughs> right. Right. Like, so like, Yeah, he's got this. The interesting thing is, is that he continues to jump, but only as high as the lid once was. The lid is no longer there. And so we all have these limits that we believe in our life are there. And we're sure that it's absolutely, and to go any further equals pain. And yet the funny thing is, or the sad thing is, or however you want to look at it, is that Fred's going to die in that jar Mm. trapped in a prison that he created in his own mind he's going to continue to jump because that has become his identity that's who he is he you know he he's he's not a sellout he's he's the top in his class He he's the best at everything so he keep, continues to jump he's going to burn himself out but he's never going to go out of it again unless some sort of outside fate or something that, that pulls him in another direction. Somebody tips over the jar, somebody actually pulls him out of there and he can reprogram it. But the, the thing is, is that we all have what I call these Fred stories and mm-hmm. they're unconscious. They're conditioned into us and they happen, you know, throughout our entire lives. And they limit us without us even knowing that they're limiting us because they become invisible to us. And they become part of our unconscious um, awareness that we just accept is the truth. And, yeah. um, you know, he goes through the whole gamut of when he's in there, you know, like blaming his girlfriend or whatever, or, you know, his parents who didn't take care of him. And he just longs to, you know, not be hurt anymore. And yet he's got the freedom to be able to jump out anytime he wants. It's just that he's, um, you know, on. Un- unable to see it and yeah.
0: uh I- good no, I was just gonna say, I just love this example, because it's so easy to visualize. And it's kind of like a cute example, you imagine this flea pounding his head up against the roof of this mason jar. And it's kind of like a funny example. But it's actually very serious. Like, this is a serious problem. I know you kind of joke around about this, but it's like, we all have these Fred stories. And when you don't understand what your Fred stories are, you are that flea that is sitting inside that mason jar, no matter how hard you try, you may not, yeah. You may, the lid may be even be open, and you're just not able to surpass that. So I was wondering if maybe you could explain, just so it gets even more real for people. I know that you have overcome some Fred stories in your life, and sometimes it took you a little bit to even understand what your Fred stories are. So, do you have maybe an example of a Fred story that you could share with us that you personally overcome in your life, and and how you ended up overcoming it?
1: Uh, only about a billion of them. <laughs> a billion. <laughs> <laughs> because they they what ends up happening is that it's it's a uh, it's a three step process we tune into different beliefs. And and by the way, a belief is just a thought that we've thought again and again and again, to the point right. that it becomes something that we believe to be true.
0: Yeah. And it's physically but, wired into your brain, like because right. you've trained your brain to think that way.
1: <laughs> right. And and all beliefs are limiting, right? Mm. Because they have a beginning and an end. They're, it's not the unknowable, uh, un, unwashed future, it, 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 or the 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 totality of life, right, the infinity of life, it's limited. So it's a thought. A thought has a beginning and an end. It has a limitation. Now, some of these thoughts or some of these beliefs serve us. They empower us. They get us closer to where we say we want to go. Some of them, without us knowing it, are taking us further away. So what I just would like to set as a foundation here is that that how we create these Fred stories is that we it's just a thought that we think again and again and again and again till it becomes a belief or a core belief. Mm, sure. And so what ends up happening is that passing thoughts become habitual thoughts, habitual thoughts become you know core beliefs, and then core beliefs become like a ironclad part of our identity of who we are and somewhere between the core beliefs and you know the the habitual beliefs it becomes invisible it becomes yep. part of our operating system our, our our minds operating system, our hearts operating system and so you know like well i mean like here's a, a very real like i i have what i call and I believe that we all have this foundational Fred stories, which is sure. the the like core Fred story. Yeah. That's the, the story that starts all stories that births everything else, that it, it's the original sin, so to speak, where <laughs> you've you've got the 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 one mistaken thing and then it breeds the next thing. It's kind of like yep. if you looked at Fred's core um foundational fred story it's that he's trapped in that jar and that 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 fate stuck him in there and that he made him um uh, stay in there and um and then from there it became everybody else's fault it became you know like or or then he starts the self beat up mode like well i must be too stupid or i didn't you know i must have done something in a previous life and you know we hear that a lot if if you're in kind of the spiritual realm of things like the the karma cop out And so the the aspect of it is that it's all birthed from that core thing. Now, I didn't realize what my foundational Fred story was until um, years of dealing with and working on uh, recognizing and dissolving some of the peripheral Fred stories that allowed me to start to like so you, you just deal with what you see. Like, you know, for me for the longest time, like from the time that I can remember, maybe as early as five years old, it was my goal was and first first value was freedom. And I had to make money. And to me, in my head, what I had equated, however it came to be, was that if I'm a millionaire, that equals freedom. So Mm -hmm. I pursued every single thing from literally the age of five years old selling candy on the street corner and, you know, like on up. And then I got into Think and Grow Rich and and stuff like that when I was in my uh, late teens and into college. And, you know, so I I was always pursuing the next thing that was going to, you know, make it work for me, that was going to fix it and give me that. Um, that success that I wanted, give me the yeah. freedom that I craved. And so for me, I, I was just going to say that that one of those Fred stories that I didn't realize was that I was trying to look outside myself to fix myself and to change my circumstance that if I could just become a millionaire, that it, everything would be done. And mm-hmm. I had the struggles of overcoming and, and realizing that it wasn't about just buying more programs and more programs and listening to more stuff and reading more books. I'm still a big fan of personal development, as you can tell behind <laughs> me, and that's just a small fraction. I mean, I've invested yeah. well into seven figures in my um, self-education. For, for those that are listening
0: and can't see you, Joshua has this beautiful, oh. unending bookshelf behind him right now, is what he's describing right now. But, yeah. but so- Continue. So, basically, I guess what I want to clarify, though, is maybe before you go forward, is so you had this reaction as a five-year-old that you wanted to create this life of freedom, of financial abundance, and from from what I've seen and from what I've heard you talked about, it was rooted in an experience that you had that was younger, that was almost like a reaction to that. So, like, would you could maybe could you explain
1: that Fred story that caused you to start to seek that freedom? Sure. Um, Do you want me to start with the actual foundational one or give an example of one that became a, you know, a a big influence in my life, but didn't happen until I was like, I don't know, maybe 10 or 11, something like that. Whatever you're comfortable with
0: sharing, I found that in my life personally, as soon as I started hearing you talk about this Fred stuff, it's like the the deeper I went back, I I, I was able to point out like the really early stuff that led to the correctional stuff that led to other stuff moving forward. So however you want to start. Uh, but like to, to me, I think the most powerful thing is understanding the initial Fred story that created everything
1: that that was kind of like a domino effect moving forward. <laughs> sure. Well, let me give you uh, two, two examples of the Fred story. One is, is a, sure. uh, uh, and both of them had a profound effect on the rest of my life. Um, but I think it might help to see, uh, the, you know, the, the one around nine or 10 years old sure. versus the, the foundational Fred, which actually happened, believe it or not, when I was two months old. Wow. Um, and, and so th- for a lot of people, I think, at least for me, I don't know, like I couldn't recognize that that was even a possibility at two months old that I had some of this conditioning and programming take place that I had no idea about. So, um, So so here's the deal. My dad was a professional musician. He led the lifestyle of a professional musician and he um, was brilliant as a professional musician. He played with some of the greatest uh, musicians alive, Tito Puente, Ray Barreto, uh, the band, John Lennon. He recorded with some of the greats. He was known for uh, playing the trumpet and the entire brass uh, instrument family. Um, If you're over 35 years old or 40 years old, but you probably aren't if you're part of the millennium podcast, (laughs) then my guess is that he's probably on some of the albums or or vinyl records in your collection or your parents' collection. Um, But he never um, was able to uh, uh, live the freedom lifestyle that he wanted. Mm. And he was... Always um, in pursuit, you know, he was the typical starving artist, the stereotypical, you know, like you can't be true to your art and be successful. Somehow, the two, you know, whatever his Fred stories were that was going on, but that seems to be a common theme for those of us that have a strong creative artistry. In us that that you know, like we struggle with that tortured soul of of the artist uh type thing where we think it's you can't have one, you know, it's not it's an either or, it's not an and, and that money's evil and all of that stuff. So he um had that very Strong in his life, so even in spite of his brilliance, in spite of all the success that he had had, all the people that he played with, and all the the connections that he had in the industry, he was always paycheck to paycheck, paycheck to paycheck, and um, the and he was always constantly letting down me personally as his his son. Um, you know, he he didn't take care of me. He, he had a habit of. Um, making plans with me in the last minute canceling, and he would um always want me to be there for him when he moved. he moved a lot, so I had to you know help him pack up boxes a, carry a him up. mule <laughs> yeah, yeah right and um so. What ended up happening is that th- this one particular experience, I mean, like there's a whole bunch of stories that I'm now remembering that are offshoots of all of this. But the the one story that I wanted to share with you was um, there was this one time where we were going upstate New York for the weekend. And surprisingly enough, he didn't call and cancel on me at the last minute. He picked me up and we drove up there and and uh, we had two bikes that he had on the the bike rack and we were going to have this whole biking weekend out of it and and uh, you know get some exercise and be in the the nature and and the mountains up in upstate New York and 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 so on and he gets up there we get up there he pulls over to the side of the road and he says uh, get out. And I said, okay, is this where we're starting? He's like, yeah, just get your bike and get out. And he only took my bike off the bike bike rack. Hmm. And he said, I'll see you in a little bit. I said, well, where are you going? I, I, he said, I, I got to take care of some stuff. Now, I did know that he was dealing drugs, that part of the way that he supplemented his income at that time was to uh, sell weed. Um, and so he was going up to his suppliers, to the, to the grow house, to get his next, um, supply. Mm. And I said, dad, you know, why do I have to wait here? Why can't I go with you? He said, well, I'm trying to protect you. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, um, I don't want you to know where the, the grow house is, where my supplier is, uh, where my dealers are. And, um, because if you get, uh, captured by the, the FBI or, um, the police or, a rival drug, drug gang, uh, no, first it was the, it was the authorities, you know, the, 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 <laughs> um, the legal community. First, he says to me, um, I don't want you to, you know, I'm, I want to protect you. If you don't know where it is, then you can't tell them anything. He says, well, dad, I would never drop a dime on you. Then he says, well, if, um, if you got captured by a rival drug cartel, um, they would torture you until you told them. So this is my way of protecting you. And I'm like, and you're you're nine or 10
0: at this time when this is happening.
1: Yeah, I don't remember exactly, but I wasn't older okay. than 10 or 11 max. Um, and I remember thinking to myself, well, that's fantastic parenting, because don't you understand <laughs> that if they even if I don't know and and I get tortured they're gonna they're not gonna believe that i don't know where it is as your son so they're gonna kill me anyway so great job on protecting you right (laughs) thought that went through (laughs) yeah and so this was part of a really bitterness that took hold on me um although at the time i wasn't able to Um, I had to, in my mind, I had to make everything better. I had to accept everything that was, I couldn't express myself. I couldn't, you know, like, like standing up for myself, being assertive was, um, uh, not something that I knew how to do. And I was scared to do it because if I asserted myself in my mind, one of my Fred stories was, is my dad isn't going to love me. He's going to leave me. He's not going to, um, ever want to see me again. Right. And so, like as a kid, I just internalized that and accepted that to be true. And I'll, you know, at at a certain point in time, I I built up the courage to tell him to go fuck himself when he did it to me. But it wasn't until I was in in, um, getting ready to start college, actually, that I actually did it. And um, which was, by the way, after trade school, because I went from high school to trade school, then to into college. And um, but it came out as go fuck yourself, which was you know, passive aggressive, rather than um, being assertive and being okay that I'm I'm just drawing a boundary. No, this is not this is not acceptable. I'm not willing to do this. Yeah. And so it took me a long time to realize the energy difference between the two. And a big piece of my personality is to be passive, to be placate everything, at least it was. And until I can't take it anymore, until the dam bursts. And sure. so then when the dam burst, look out because my New York City street kid comes out and I'll cut you, you know, and, and that's where <laughs> it ended up going. Like, that's how I survived. And um, as you can imagine, it burns bridges, it burns relationships. It it uh, I mean, it, it's not the whole thing, but it's it's part of what ended my first marriage. Um, and, uh, it, you know, it, it, it contributed to all of that. Um, yeah. S- and so- it, it, it go ahead i'm sorry
0: well i, I was just going to put a bow on this for people just so i can understand the whole concept of where this is fitting in just because one of the things in in studying joshua and learning from him uh, ever since he started sending over his materials is that in your in your business if you're listening to this right now if you're sitting inside that jar, if you're hitting up against that barrier, lots of the times it's not like a tactic or a strategy in business. Lots of the times the stuff that we're unable to see in our lives, the unconscious things are actually what are holding us back. And so the more that you can understand these stories that Josh was talking about, these Fred stories, you may not think that an experience of your dad leaving you on the side of the street while he's going to deal with drugs, it has anything to do with your business, but believe it or not, like that stuff is the stuff that's ingrained that's holding you back. And so the more that you can uncover your Fred stories. And I know, I think it was funny, Joshua, when we first connected, I had put a, a quote inside of the chat in the workshop that we were in and you immediately responded to it. And I realized after going through your material, uh, why, but like the quote is by Carl Jung, and it's until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. And so these are the unconscious drivers and that if, for those of you listening that are longtime listeners, you'll know that there was another podcast episode that we did with Joshua, I'm uh, sorry, um, Brian Grasso and Kerry Campbell. And that was one of the foundational quotes that led them as well. And so- what joshua i thought maybe this would be a good place to kind of introduce is like so people understand okay i have these fred stories that are holding me back and in one of your one of your books you talk about this concept of yin and and yang and it's obviously like a a really ancient concept but in order for us to succeed we have to understand both the yin side and the yang side so what we've been talking about so far from my understanding you can correct me if i'm wrong is the is this the yang side or no this is the the yin side is like understanding the Kind of creative, like what's holding you back mentally, and the yang side is more of like the business strategy. So, could you maybe talk a little bit more about yin and yang? If I missed something there, and I know that you you talk about need to focus on your yin side before you actually focus on the yang side.
1: <laughs> well, not to correct a a uh, um, uh, somebody from the background that you have, but um, it's yin and yang. <laughs> yang. Okay, there you go.
0: There's my there's my there's my happy. Oh, that was the white side like- of me. My Chinese <laughs> martial
1: art, uh, Sifu, uh, will be like out of his head with yin and yang, it's too Americanized for him. Yeah, there you go. There um, was that was the white
0: <laughs> side of me, not the, not the Asian right, side of me that said that incorrectly. Right, right, so right. we'll play, we'll
1: play. <laughs> uh, it's funny. Um, yeah, so I mean, like the yin side is your your inner, inner game stuff, your confidence levels, your uh, creativity, your belief in yourself, your self esteem. All of the things that drive and allow you to move forward or um, create however you do decide to move forward. And the yang side is the outer game strategy, the tactics, the details, the, the how I'm going to go about what is my, my strategic plan? How do, you know, what do I do today, tomorrow, the next day to build my business to a success? where the inside worries about like, okay, so let's say you build your business to this mega success. Are you going to be happy, fulfilled? Is it going to be meaningful to you? Are you going to be making the impact that you want to make? And are you going to want to do it? Or is it going to be a deeper prison for you because you mm-hmm. only follow it and listen to the Yang side of your, the Yang side of your, uh, your, your situation, right? Um, so what I realized early on Well, I shouldn't say after I got my first taste of success and after I became a millionaire for the first time uh, and then I made and lost millions, not once, not twice, but three more times like and i'm talking about like not just 1 million but like i've made hundreds of millions of dollars in the course of my career um for myself for my clients for you know like like the 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 results that i've been able to create have been nothing short of astounding but i was always on this roller coaster mm-hmm. where you know as soon as i made it sooner or later i would sabotage it or something outside my control would happen and it would uh you know dissolve on me and in it wasn't until like 2009 when um, I intentionally shut down my entire operations after getting back from hanging out for a week on Necker Island with, you know, Dan Cushell and, and a bunch of really awesome Yannick Silver, you know, uh, Joe Polish, some awesome entrepreneurs. Um, and not to uh, the least of which was Richard Branson and having to spend, you know, four or five days FaceTime with Richard Branson. I was miserable because I realized that when I got back, I, I hated my life, even though I, by the outside world, I was successful. Right. Um, I had focused so far on measuring everything in my life against the young side of the equation that was driving it. And um, instead of the, the, the balance between the two. And what I started to realize is that there's it's zero factors. Um, you if you go all young and you have a zero factor on the inside well multiply a billion times zero and you wind up with zero results and you know you wind up there and on the other side, which is what I struggled with for a long time, I had like all this internal work that I was doing, all the, the studying, all the, the, the new stuff that I had uh, um, yeah. acquired, all the, the, the different business opportunities that I had invested in, all of the different programs that were going to fix me that this time it's going to be different. This time, this, this is why the, all the others failed me and this, this time it's going to be different. Um, but I had all of that in there. The reason why I didn't have success is that I wasn't putting the young side to work. Mm -hmm. So I had a zero on the young side. Like I was scared to get in the game. I was scared to take action. And, um, so let me just pause right here and saying, so you can be incredibly successful while completely
0: ignoring the, the, the more of the store, the Fred stories, that kind of stuff. Right. So like, you're able to just kind of butt your way through that. Is that correct? And that's what you're able to do, but then you realize it wasn't sustainable the way of approaching it that way.
1: Yeah. I mean, like the zero factor is just to give an example. Right. But I don't believe that it's possible to have absolute zero on either side. Sure. Right. Like it, it, it's degrees of it, but watch what happens. Like, let's say I like for the, the first, um, well, the first 32 years of my life, I focused you know, almost entirely on the inside of it. And I got good at, you know, the subconscious mind and the uh, reprogramming and the subliminal tapes and all of that stuff. Uh, the, the you know, anything about the power of the mind, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, all of that stuff, working on your confidence, your self-esteem, all of the, the stuff that's important there. And let's say I built that up to, you know, like just to use big numbers, let's say that's a million on that side. And on my results side- in, on the
0: invest, investments in, when you say you built it up to a million, you spent
1: a million dollars on investing in that? Or what do you mean when you no, say a million? I just mean that the number that I'm assigning to that side of the equation. Oh, okay. The equation. Okay. The equation. Got it. Okay. Yeah, all right. So a yeah, million, million, million on that side. <laughs> but I only have like a, a, a one or a fractional numbers on the young side. So I'm getting some results, but it it isn't what I really want. And- um, like, let's say it's 0.001 on the young side of, of implementing, of taking action, of, of overcoming my fear of feeling the fear and doing it anyway in the real world, as opposed to just in my mind and just in terms of visualizing and goal setting and, and uh, you know, future writing down the, the, the vision of everything that you want to have and that you're going to have and saying it as if you already have it. I was doing all that, but mm. the problem was, you know, inside I was saying, well, this is bullshit. Like I, I do not have it yet. I don't really believe what I'm saying. Anyway, that's, that's still part of the inside of the equation. But what ended up happening is that I focused for so long on the, the, the inside that once I started focusing on the Yang side of the equation, I made rapid progress towards my goal, which in my mind, remember was to become a millionaire so that I could have the freedom that I wanted. And that was going to fix me. That was going to make mm-hmm. all my pain, all my problems go away when I equaled millionaire. So from the time that I started really focusing on the uh, the balance and balancing out the young side, and taking massive action and and being you know like very type A, you know embracing my uh, aggressive side of my personality and you know get it done, competitiveness and and uh, you know like win at all costs that type of thing um, in less than 18 months, I was a cash millionaire from focusing on it. So I was now addicted to, well, the answer is all the tactical things, all the methodologies, all the stuff. And and so I I doubled down on investing in the programs and marketing and and business development stuff. And and it became just about that and winning by keeping track of the numbers, not bothering to wonder how fulfilling it was. And um, that's where everything kind of came to a head. And that's why made and lost, made and lost, made and lost. So, you know, the yin side, both the yin and the yang end up creating your Fred stories because here's the process that we all go through in one capacity or another. I call it tune, look, see. We tune into certain thoughts. And as we tune into them, we then look for the next step up as we look for what? Well, we look for evidence to prove that that what we're tuning into is the truth. So in Fred's case, or in our story case, it's all framed, like what we choose to tune into is framed by our Fred stories. It's framed by our, you know, what, what uh, Carl Jung talks about, and I use this quote myself all the time, um, you know, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will control your life, and you'll call it Fate, so I mean, that isn't that what you know? Fred was saying about it? oh, it's just you know, I just must be one of those things, mm-hmm. like you know, uh, I can't win for losing. So when you're when you're there, you're now tuning into things, thoughts, i ideas, beliefs that you already have, core beliefs, your identity part of it. In the tuning process, it immediately colors, just like an, a computer operating system. You don't know that it's a computer operating system that's running you, but it's the what allows you to run all the different applications and software and all of that on top of that operating system. So you're tuning in automatically. Then you're looking for evidence that supports it. And you can look for whatever you look for, you will in fact see, which mm-hmm. is the third step, which is the seeing, which is the result side of the equation, what you see manifested in your life, now it works towards the wanted side and it works towards the unwanted side, sure. right? Like you can tune in automatically to things that you want. And you know, there's there's certain things that we have supreme confidence about in our life that we have stories that have been serving us, that we have beliefs that are that are taking us closer to where we want to be and that that are a positive thing that result in the, you know, like let's say you have a belief or a core identity that you're awesome at math or you're awesome at. You know, engineering type things, then you automatically are going to start tuning into more things that are going to prove that. And you're going to be looking for evidence that supports that. And then you will see the results. More of it. Yeah. You'll see more of that in your real life. And on the other hand, we also have things that we tune into that we don't want. Because, I mean, Mm -hmm. like every subject is two subjects what we want and what we don't want. And so, you know, we have core, and, and until you learn to, unwind these um, Fred stories, you're going to operate completely oblivious to the fact that this is even going on. But you, if you ever just just take an objective observer look at it, you'll see that it starts with you're tuning into some thought or idea, and you're looking for evidence that supports that same kind of tuning that you're doing. And then you end up seeing the results, whether it's on the the what you want side of the equation or what you fear happening side of the equation. Yeah. And it just, it stacks up.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. And and I apologize that this is like a really rough transition. I kind of see a loose connection, but, but one of the things that I thought was really fascinating from going through your profit profit book was this, the the blind, the three blindnesses that we suffer from one of them, the very first one you say is quo vadimus blindness. And again, maybe I mess up the young and I can't pronounce Latin or Chinese things. So you could tell me if I pronounce that incorrectly too. No, but, I think you um, got it. Okay, cool. So, so quote Vadimus blindness, and I'll just read this, this uh, small clip from your book with kind of, uh, modifying for some links. So goal achievement doesn't necessarily bring us the kind of freedom, power, and prosperity we really want. Often we get so lost in the pursuit and attainment of goals. We actually get trapped, not freed by them when we work our asses off and still don't get what we want, or when we win the race only to discover we were running the wrong race. Quo Vadimus blindness is the cause. And then, uh, skipping ahead a little bit personally, I was completely blind to my quo is blindness, blindness until I was 42, because it didn't stop me from making millions. That's why it's tempting to write this area off, thinking you'll go back after you get rich and address it. Mistake, big mistake. And then skipping ahead a little bit more is the last chunk I wanted to get in here. Knowing what I know now, if I had to do it all over again, I'd spend all my time and efforts curing my quo is blindness first, instead of spending so much time on the second and third, more obvious barriers to financial freedom. It's that critical. So um, first of all, just so people Damn, are- Damn, I wrote that? Are, That's pretty good. Yeah, yeah it's, it's really, it is really good. Fantastic. <laughs> I know the author. <laughs> uh, uh, so can you please tell us what Quo Vadimus first means? And then um, what can maybe share us that that story at age 42
1: that made you realize it? Was that the Richard Branson story or was that a different story? Yeah, it was the Richard okay. Branson experience. I mean, it was everything culminating that that led up to it. But yeah, the uh, Quo Vladimus, uh, uh blindness or it, or Quo Vadimus Vlad- simply means where are we going?
0: Mm hmm.
1: And if you don't stop and take notice of where you're going and ask yourself frequently, what are we really trying to accomplish here? Like what's
0: Like, the what I love in the book, I just want to say when you, when you in the book, it says, where are we going? That was like the emphasis that you online. Cause if you read it differently, it can mean two things. Like where are we going versus where are we going? It caused you to think about it a little bit differently. And from yeah. what I understood about your story is that like, You were chasing these things and you just got really good at goal achievement, doing the same things over and over. So for the audience that's listening right now, like, how can we strike the balance between goal achievement and making sure that we're actually heading in the right direction?
1: Yeah, I I think, uh, unfortunately, there isn't a magic answer that's going to fix everything. And that, frankly, is probably part of the solution. Um, is recognizing that we've been trained to believe that there is some magic quick fix, 140 character answer that's going to fix everything instantly now. And it just isn't. It's a process. And as as soon as we give up the deep work for the short term answers, you're day trading your life away. And um, so you may make a lot of money day trading, but... You can also lose a lot of money, day trading, and you're always in and out, you know, you're in and out, in and out, in and out, and you always have to reinvent yourself every single minute. And you're starting all over from scratch, going back to that reinvention uh, blackboard to start over again in marketing and sales and in, in um, business development, etc. because you, it, it, there's a shelf life to what you're building. And um, so where are you going? Um, and thank you for, for uh, reminding me of the R part being emphasized because it's not where you'd like to be going. That's a goal. Mm-hmm. It's where are you going? Like what, does, what is the actual results? Like based on results in the real world. And here's a, a great little formula that I love to use myself when, I'm, when I want to know where are we going. It's no results plus a good story. Does not equal results. So when you when you get stuck in that, where are we going? And you think it's a, a goal setting visualization exercise where you're saying, "All right, this the, what's the next goal that I want to achieve? What's the next thing that I want to check off the list? The next achievement." Um, you don't stop and ask yourself if. That's meaningful to you. And what is it that you're really trying to accomplish? What is the the balance that you'd like to live? What is the you know, how do you want to le- be remembered? What is the impact that you're looking to make? Is yes. it just to make a lot of money or is it to um, make a difference? And if so, how does that look? And is this what I'm doing today, Taking me closer to where I want to be, or further away. Because when you use the "no results plus a good story" framework, does not equal results. And you take the emotion out of it, you now don't worry about it. The only question that you are saying is that if I know truly what I'm trying to optimize for, what I what I'm really truly trying to accomplish with my life, with my vision, what I with the life that I want to live, and in and, and the business that I want to run, and how I want it to look for me, it wasn't just making a lot of money ever. I mean, like I didn't realize it, but for me, the driving force was freedom to be able to live on my terms. But I had equated that to money and to mm-hmm. millionaire status. And I got all caught up in the the status and the, the prestige of that um, for a while as well. But the point is, and I don't, I don't regret any of that, um, because it, it helped me get to where I am now, but none of it was fulfilling. None of it was meaningful to me um, mm-hmm. at a certain point. In the beginning, it was extremely meaningful and it was extremely gratifying. And, and, and I really did um, stand to make an impact and, and make a valuable contribution to the way that I was doing business but sooner or later I was just doing it because I was afraid not to do it because I needed the money or I was doing it for the money. And as soon as I realized that I was doing it just to make money, I could no longer look at myself in the mirror. And I had to, you know, go on this, this discovery journey. Um, So, I mean, like one of the, one of the sticky notes that I have written down all the time is what are we really trying to accomplish here? Hmm. Like, like, what is it that we're optimizing for? And like, that's my filter. And if I am true to myself, then it allows me to say, all right, is this bringing me closer to where I truly want to go? That's meaningful to me. That, that is my vision for a bigger future. Or is it taking me further away from it? Yeah. And that, now it allows me to course correct along the way. But all that matters is where are we going And do I need to, is the R part where I want to be from a meaningful standpoint that I decide Cause I said, do you so.
0: feel, do you feel personally? And this is what's interesting as entrepreneurs, because it's so easy to compare yourself to other people or what other people have done. And then you look at that and you're like, Oh, that's what I should be doing. Or that's what I should be trying to do. And I, I personally think that like, you have to answer that question for yourself and you can't look at what the heck other people are trying to do, because that's really where we end up in these cycles of just like, Oh, who's got the bigger car, who's got the bigger business and that kind of stuff. And it's like at the end of the day, does it really matter for you to have a bigger business? Like, and that's, that's why I'm so excited about the, the, mission of seven figure millennials is changing the definition of what success really means. Cause it doesn't have to mean being seven figures. It doesn't have to mean that at all, as long as you understand what the lifestyle is that you want, because you don't want a successful business. You want a business that brings you the lifestyle that you want. You don't want a business that brings you misery. (laughs) So, um, have you found that to be true in like comparing yourself to others? You kind of need to make sure that you're understanding what this is yourself before you even look externally at all.
1: Yeah, 100%. Um, that is a, uh, I would agree with you wholeheartedly. Um, the The challenge there is is that in the beginning, we want to have evidence that it's going to work. Mm-hmm. So we've trained ourselves to look for um, possibility in what other people are doing. And everybody's got their opinion about how they're doing it and that they have the one right way. And so if you don't do it according to their degrees or you, or, you know, like in the beginning when you're looking for it to be able to prove to yourself that it's possible, that you can do this, that, that it's, you know, you're, you're kind of mirroring. So you're by nature comparing yourself. And Mm -hmm. so what I think that the trap though, that we get stuck in is not trusting our own confidence, not trusting our own internal guidance and say, so what if nobody's ever done it the way I want to do it? I'm going here. Because Mm -hmm. you know what, I'm going to be the person that's going to create the unprecedented results in the face of no evidence so that everybody else that wants to create it can point to my trail as the evidence to be able to to look for this, to to be able to follow it, that it is possible as the proof Mm -hmm. that it, see, it does work. But for me, like, I'm okay charging my own way. Um, That's always been... Part of my core stupid human trick operating system in the background and why I would you know be quick to let let things go when I finally saw it, but it also um is a way to hide if you're not careful um because then you you get right up on it and you just you know you you blow it off because it's not something that is unprecedented or, or something like that. So it, it, as far as the comparison stuff goes, I think that a certain amount of comparison in the beginning is important if you need to build belief and build confidence that you can do right. it. But the instant that you create any kind of results in your life or any kind of failure type results in your life, you got to stop looking at what everybody else is because nobody but you can decide whether it was an improvement or whether you got value from it or whether, you know, and, you know, how big is, is big enough, or, you know, only you get to say what your success is supposed to be and how it's supposed to be. So, um, the comparison trap is, is a big one. And, um, I definitely got stuck in that, you know, like that's why I ended up going to Necker Island. That's why, you know, like, like, not that it wasn't valuable, but it was like, well, all my peers are doing it, so i you know I can't be a chump and not you know pony up the the forty thousand dollars to to be able to hang out there and and have bragging rights to do it right, yeah okay
0: so up until this point we've talked a lot about the internal work about the Fred stories about understanding the blindness spots and I know you know we you have so much content it was going through this was like yeah, really so interesting I, like I okay, knew this how can was gonna we... be... <laughs> <laughs> no no this is this is awesome and so one of the concepts that we initially connected I'm like oh that would be really interesting to dive into is uh you know this is where we start moving into like the business growth kind of things and one of the things you talk about is this concept of heart share marketing and I know we wanted to discuss that today to give with the to the audience so so, can you share what heart share, audio, heart share marketing is just to begin with?
1: Yeah, it's my term. I've coined it. Um, it it's it, as I, I'm going to end up writing a book and, and turn it into something in, and, uh, in the future. But um, if you look at the evolution of marketing over time, first it was uh, capturing attention based marketing it's it's all yep. about g- getting attention so we have you know the craziness the you know to to get people's attention so that you can capture their attention and we know the ada formula of salesmanship you know attention interest desire action right and that's that's the steps to the sale that's the steps to to marketing and it still is the case in 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 a lot of respects because you can't You know, if you don't get somebody's attention, if they don't give you any focus on what you're talking about, then they can't ever, um, you know, you don't have an opportunity to build interest and desire and get them to enroll in taking action. And so the the next evolutionary step of this stuff is that what I would call mindshare. Now, all of this is like important in the beginning to go through this evolution. It's a stair step process. To this. but And by the way, all of this is from the perspective of your market, of your audience, of the people that you're looking to influence and do business with. It's their attention. It's their yeah. mindshare. And what mindshare says is, okay, I want to own a particular idea or space in their mind when they think about this idea or when they think about this subject. And for a lot of marketers in the online world, this is where they be, this, this is as, as advanced as they get. Most of them are still sure. stuck in the um, attention world and just the interruption and the you know any kind of attention is good attention. If I can if I can get your attention for a minute, um, then I, I've got a shot at it. And you see, all of the ads are built around that. The people that are getting cheaper results with their advertising in the online world have graduated to at least um, a mind share aspect of it, where they've right. created enough credibility and the interesting thing about the the marketing aspect is, is that this is all about like i said your audience but it's up to them they get to choose how they choose to position you mm-hmm. they get to choose when they move from just you know a mild interest or or an annoyance into an interest into um, now you you've you've captured my mind you've got some intrigue here you've got some you know and so now every time i see something from uh, Brandon, I think on a certain subject like the seven-figure millennials, I have a particular story that I run in my head, and you own that space in my head, in right. my mind. And so, anything that I ever think about from here on out in that segment is going to be filtered through you, and mm-hmm. I'm going to turn to you for the authority that you you have with me based upon that space in my mind. Right. Now, you didn't make me do that. You couldn't make me do that. I just did that. Now, that's a very different space. Like if I see an ad from you on Facebook or on YouTube or whatever, I have a very different space that I'm, you're now positioned in, in my mind. So I'm much more open at that point yeah. to do that.
0: So it's a mental click from the audience perspective on how they view you.
1: Yes. The, the ultimate and where I think that particularly in the online world, but offline too, is heart share marketing. Yes. And heart share is the third evolution of it where it's about enrollment. You can't manipulate. You can with attention. You can manipulate with mind share stuff. You can you can use the fake scarcity countdown timers to to create. You can do all of the split A-B testing. And believe me, I've done thousands of split A-B tests in my in my business career. Um, So I understand the need (laughs) for scientific testing and all of that but all of that is to you know manipulate one step up and and improve linearly what is going on in in the without taking notice of your entire ecosystem and so what you find is that's why your ads burn out quickly and that's why they're more expensive because if you just stay in the i got to get attention and i got to get competing attention well then guess what It's a hard road to go down because there's, you know, everybody's attention and focus is scarce and their job in the online world is to tune out as much as they can. Otherwise we're going to go insane. Right. Right. So that's why it takes so many more eyeballs, so many more impressions, so many more clicks before somebody actually makes a, uh, takes an action or makes a buying decision that's important. And so that's the, the, what ends up making your ads more expensive what makes your your cost of the the ac- customer acquisition the first time order more expensive um is because in the beginning there there is no relationship but if you focused on bringing people through and they go into the mindshare now that becomes a very different place to engage with people now when you see yes. an ad on in your news feed right y- y- if you have if I've elevated and I've given you mind share in my mind, you know, then when I see something of you from you, I'm going to look at it in a different eyes. I I might not have an interest in it, but I'm at least going to give it a shake before I delete it. You know, mm-hmm. like, like it, it, depending on my mood or whatever, and depending on the strength of the, the relationship or the perceived relationship that I have with you, that's, that's running my mind share. Heart share is the, like, how do I, um, I'm enrolled in your vision. I'm, I want to be a part of what you're up to. I, I Enrollment versus salesmanship. And it cannot ever be manipulated yep. because it's 100% on the other person's side. Go ahead.
0: Yeah, I love this. And it's funny that you fell on the same day. And the interview that I have later today is with Blair Dunkley, who who I met. And he's like this profiling ninja. And he's responsible for adding over $757 million to businesses and coaching them. And his whole basis for this is this thing he calls Igniting the Buying Conversation or IBC. And he's talking about how mo- nobody, very, very few people love to be sold. But most people love to buy. And so when you understand that, that basis, that basis is creating a buying culture and understanding how you can get people to enroll in your ideas and your vision, that's really what changes things. So I just wanted to highlight that is because that's really what at least you can correct me if I'm wrong. That's what you're doing is really getting people invested in what your mission is and getting bought in with where you are going. And it's more about a relationship of supporting you rather than, you know, Oh, this is annoying. I don't want to hear about this anymore.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean it, it's it, absolutely the the um, the heart share aspect of it, and and you you said a phrase that how can I, uh, how can I make people enroll, or how can I get people to enroll more, or something like that. The interesting thing to take into consideration there is you can offer it, you can make it conducive, you can offer ideas, but you can't make you can't create like heart share is. Not like capturing mind share, or capturing attention. Right. It's really heart share is something that they share with you that right. you occupy a space in their heart that they let very few people into.
0: So is it is like, it accurate to say that attention and mind share is the responsibility of the content? Well, I guess they're all our responsibility, but the, the decision really comes from the, the consumer to enter into the heart share more so. How do I, I, I don't know how I'm trying I'm trying I, to, I know where you're going. Basically, basically know like where the heart share is like the ultimate give. It's like the ultimate movement from the consumer to saying I'm bought into your side of things.
1: Yeah, it's, it's when they say, you are my guru. You are sure. my Oprah. <laughs> I will, you know, I, I will look to you on any subject because of who you are and, and the relationship that you're my trusted advisor. The, the thing that's interesting to note is that it still has to go through attention, mind share, then heart share. So You can't skip the heart share. (laughs) Enrollment, well, you can focus on just the enrollment aspects and heart share aspects, but it's up to them and you can make it as as conducive as possible. And really, usually what that means is that you allow people, you love them and let them grow. You allow Mm -hmm. people to be where they are and you take into consideration that when you're a complete stranger to, to them, That they're naturally distrustful, that they don't like you. They don't even know what you have to offer. And they're going to be immediately thinking of you as you're an asshole. Mm. Um, Now, maybe it's not that drastic, but that is what I... Often use in my A to A framework to to make sure that people understand that this is their conversations. If they're a complete stranger, if you go in assuming that that's what their their story themes are about you in their mind, in their heart, in their attention, then it's easy to see why somebody isn't going to give you the time of day if they're if they're stuck in that that standpoint. And your job is to make that as friction free as possible to move to the next mental conversation. You can't mm-hmm. go from having somebody think of you as an asshole and jump right to you are my trusted advisor my oprah on the subject. So in one what jump?
0: So what are the differences in the content that you create
1: for attention mindshare and heartshare? Well, it's kind of like I mean I, I I in the profit profit I go through the the actual steps of the the process and if you want to share I mean I I broke down the the seven steps in an email, uh, training series. So we can share that link if you want. Yeah, of course. Um, and I'm fine with that and they can, they can see it for themselves and and see how it it, it all works. Um, the, the interesting thing is it's like, if you enter in the, in the process, if you enter their, their, you want to enter their space without them being, uh, pushing back on you. And so like the example that I like to use is Caesar uh, Milan, the dog whisperer, when you, his first rule of contact, when he when he's going into a pack or when he's going into a, a dog situation is no touch, no talk, no eye contact. And he, you'll see him when he does it episode after episode, whether they're aggressive, whether they're hyper, whatever the, the issue is with the dog, when he comes in, eventually the dog starts to come to them. And sniff Mm. around and that's Mm. the dog telling him that they're interested in exploring maybe more and seeing Mm. if there's something here they're not going to be aggressive because he's not being aggressive he's there it's not standoffish so in that stage you basically just want to enter their awareness without them you know and some of the ways to do that is just to you know stop trying to sell them on it you know, enter their awareness, share something of value, give them an insight that's going to be like, oh, wow, like I didn't think about that in, in that capacity um, so that they go, well, maybe you're not such an asshole. Let me, let me explore more. And then they go to you're just a pest. And from the just the pest, it's still the same thing. Like that's not a, a, a an opening to start saying, well, this is the greatest thing this sliced bread and whatever. You've 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 got them easing into the situation. Now you don't want to blow it by challenging them too quick in the in the dog world, right? And so you allow it to unfold naturally. And basically the early stages is just about entering their their state of awareness without them balking at it. Mm-hmm. And if they do balk at it then trying a different approach to enter that awareness on a different level that, because it doesn't mean that they're not interested in what they have, but they're never going to be able to give you any focus and attention if you don't get past this hurdle. Yeah. And, and uh, is, you know. is it accurate to say too, uh,
0: maybe you could just clarify on this, that the opt-in or where they actually give you your their contact information, like that doesn't happen until you've went through a few of these stages already. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. The opt-in happens at a minimum. They have to believe that you're at the third level. The story theme that they have about you at the the third level is what I call you're on probation. It's the probationary concept. Um, Notice though, that all three of these conversations are fear-based.
0: Yep. And so, so it's because, it's asshole to pass to probation. So that's where we're at right, right. now in the conversation. Okay.
1: Now, the, the 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 they they have to elevate you in their mind to at least putting you on probation before they're willing to opt in. Mm. Right? Now you can do things to force them through like you can pique their curiosity and then put them through a squeeze page, but now where are we going? What are you optimizing for? What are you trying to accomplish? Do you want somebody that you're forced in to squeeze or do you, you know, just so that you can have uh, bragging rights for a 70% or 60% opt-in rate? Or do you want the right people opting in right, that right. you want, that you can work with, that you can actually serve and help? Um, so, I mean, that, that's just a, a you know, kind of tying it backwards. But they have to, at minimum be willing to put you on probation now probation again does not mean that they're ready to buy anything or, or even trust you to any degree it's still what what basically it means is that they're saying to themselves damn it i hate myself but i'm intrigued i'm intrigued like like uh, but brandon you got one foot on a banana peel and <laughs> you know one foot in in my in in my mental space and i'm just you know basically what i'm saying at this stage when i'm putting you on probation is i'm saying Go ahead and hurry up and say something stupid like I know you're going to so that I can go back to thinking of you as an asshole and get back to my daily routine because I hate myself that I'm even giving you any of this time right now because I've been screwed so many times before. Please don't hurt me type thinking. All of that is fear-based conversations, Yep. right? And it's not linear like this either. I mean, like it, it, there's elements of all of this, but it's it's easy to start thinking about it in these compartments because it's just the journey of how somebody goes from a complete stranger to trusted advisor. And, and it's really just depth of relationship building. The fourth mm-hmm. step, and by the way, the fourth step is not where... Um, uh, is not where the sales takes place either, is the fourth step is like, oh, now you're just like me. Wow, you're just like me. Now, sometimes the probation and the just like me, and, you know, like, I like what you have to say, happens all in, you know, really, really fast, like it did with you and me. Like, we we immediately bonded, we connected and boom. Like, so I, I didn't go to the probationary period. I went all the way to mm. the, the fifth step, with you immediately because we just connected there, but the the thing that I want people to realize is that when you're just like me, we don't buy from people who are our best friends, who are our drinking buddies down at the bar. We we might or might not, but basically, just because they're the same as us, they're they're just like us does not mean that they are have a right to guide us or that have any kind of credibility with us right. to uh, on a particular subject. So this is where people get screwed up a lot, right? Because they think, well, I got to know, like, and trust. How many times have you heard the steps to the sales? You got to you know, know yeah. them, like them, and trust them. Well, really the like and the trust part, there's, there's a piece missing with the trust. And it, because they're still not going to create a buying conversation necessarily. I might trust you as a friend. I might trust your opinion on something, but I'm not going to think of you as a, as a leader in my life or as somebody that I should actually listen to on this particular subject until and unless I offer you the elevated place of respect which is the authority conversation. You are an Mm -hmm. authority level conversation. So it's know, like, trust, and respect you on a Mm -hmm. particular subject. Those are what have to take place prior to me being willing to spend $1 with you. Wow. (laughs) And now you can see why the first sale, the front end sale in marketing channels and circles is the most expensive. Yep. Yep. That's why I built, you know, a hundred million dollar plus business model around going negative. Like the the first front end sale was um, uh, the, was an average of fifty dollars, right? And the the cost of the sale was generally somewhere around a hundred bucks to one hundred and twenty dollars to create that fifty dollars sale. Mm-hmm. On average. Yeah. The reason it's so expensive is because you yeah, actually. It- have to do that. I
0: I, I just want to say how valuable this is that Josh was sharing this because there are so many people in the industry that will go and they'll tell you how easy it is to break even or make money on the front end of a a low ticket offer. And like you can do that. I think that you can if you have the right heart share with your audience, if it's a really warm audience and maybe you you can correct me. But like this is kind of this is super valuable. What he's sharing is just understanding how much goes into this. And sometimes when you hear people saying these incredible numbers about front end offers, it's because they've they've already gone on through all these stages uh, that, that Josh was talking about.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's like it It also relates back to what we were talking about earlier with the, you know, quote, blindness, which is mm-hmm. the, like, where are we going? What are we optimizing for? What are we looking to create here? And the thing that that you, you need to really kind of dig into with this is the, you know, like you can have great mindshare and you can make money on the front end. You can do these type of you know free plus shipping and handling or quote unquote tripwire offers, right? To ease people in, and you can then upgrade them, and you you have that that entire upsell funnel and cross sell, and you know as somebody that actually forgot that he was the creator and inventor of the one uh-huh. click upsell, <laughs> which is another story entirely believe me, I understand how that's important. And, you know, so that you can get the the maximum dollar value out. However, is that really what you're the kind of customer that you're optimizing for? When I started the two comma club back in 2006, I started it with a free plus shipping, you know, like the first two issues, 60 days free, uh, just pay the shipping and processing in 2006. Now, by the way, I had modeled it after something that a business model that I created in 1999 uh, on, you know, to, so I mean, I've been doing this stuff for a long time. Um, now it's like standard operating procedures, because what's happening is that somebody will take a flyer for, you know, seven bucks, 10 bucks, you know, even 27 bucks. But they might not have any commitment to you or to the thing or whatever. But now you get them into the, you know, you can do that all with mindshare. You can do that all with capturing attention, right? I mean, mm-hmm. like attention-based marketing and, and mindshare marketing. And can you make money on the front end? Absolutely. You still can. Particularly in the online world, because everybody, you know, wants to do everything affiliate based and joint venture based, so it's all mm-hmm. referral marketing. So what they don't realize is that they, they, you know, they have very little chops in the 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 cold advertising space. Right. But let's just say that they're making money with some sort of low resistance offer on the front end that they're actually making money or that within, you know, like uh, three days they're they're to break even or the positive because they've got their, their metrics all worked out and, and, and organized. What kind of customer does that create? Mm -hmm. And for me, after working very scientifically running the two comma club, for four years straight and, the, the, and running that model. And, and by the way, it was super successful. I mean, like I had, um, I think it was 5,000 or 6,000 people a month paying me um, uh, the $50 uh, a month average for the, the subscription. So, I mean, it was a good chunk of money but I actually shut it down at its peak because I did not like the type of customer that it bred. Mm. And they were weren't the people. And that was in 2009 into 2010, you know, in that time frame where I shut it down. And it was because of the way that they were being enrolled. It was too easy. They didn't have commitment. They didn't have the desire to truly build something. They didn't get the true value out of the materials that I had for them because of the way that they were enrolled. Did I make a lot of money? Yes. Did it? Did it? Uh, have great conversions, you bet. Um, you know, but did it work long term? No, not for what I was optimizing for, not what yeah. what I was building for. And the lifetime value of that customer was very the percentages of the people that would do business with me deeper were much much lower. So I had to have you know thousands of subscribers in order to get a few good clients just because cream r- rises to the top. Whereas now you take like a Jeff Walker uh, business model where, I don't know if it's still this way for Jeff, but for many years, and it probably still is, like his first front-end product was a $2,000 product launch formula program. So it's like that a, a high-end end,
0: high front-end, essentially.
1: Which is his low-end, right? Mm-hmm. And. Right and I think he does two open enrollments a year or something like that, or maybe it's only one now where he opened enrollments, but what he does the rest of the year is build credibility, build value, create an impact, give insights, give value all across the, the, you know, through his videos, through YouTube channel, all of the, you know, his ideas and concepts and the act of buying and enrolling in his uh, product launch formula, the value that he creates there as he's marketing to people is valuable. Like the mm-hmm. usually, it's he could sell that pr- part of it for uh, several hundred dollars. Just the the value that he's creating that he's using as the enrollment mechanism. But his goal is not to have low end products. Now, is he leaving money on the table? Very likely, he is. But not for what he's looking to do. He wants, yeah. you know, so then he upgrades them to the, you know, his inner circle group and, and his mastermind group and, and all of that. And I don't know, but, but the last time I tuned in, Jeff is one of these people that is real clear on what he wants, yep. lifestyle, what he's looking to build. So he probably has his number when, you know, all I need is or all I want right now is to work with 100 people in this group per year or something like that and it doesn't matter that he could have more that he could be bigger numbers because he's looking to create what he's looking to create as lifestyle would have it yeah and with all that clarity
0: and just, just, I just want to close a loop for some people because obviously, some, some, depending on uh, where people are coming from. Jeff Walker, product launch formula. If you haven't seen his stuff, check it out. Phenomenal. But like, it's this. He was one of the. He's one of the OGs, like Joshua is, <laughs> of the internet marketing uh, launch formula. Just, I just wanted to close that loop in case people were saying that. So.
1: Yeah. And he's brilliant. Um, And he does it the right way. I think, you know, unfortunately, his methods have been prostituted and have turned into a quote unquote business model. But all it is is just, you know, like, like Jeff and the people that really get what he's doing and are following him, they're building real businesses. It's kind of like Apple, right? They do yep. product launches every year or so. And they do big launches, but it's not this and then over. Right. It's this and this and you know yep. it's it, it there steps up and that's yeah. exactly right you know i mean it, 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 it so it, it's not like are you looking for a cash flow well if you're looking just for cash flow get yourself a commission sales job yeah you know um because you're always going to be starting all over on monday you know unemployed again
0: yeah. So this this is an incredibly valuable tangent. Thank you so much for sharing your your insights on that. I want to make sure that we close another loop of, of finishing the, I know we were going kind of through the A to A framework. So we've talked about the conversation that's happening in people's minds, starts out as an asshole, you move to the past, you move to probation, you move to you're like me. And then you started to allude to it, but we didn't get quite to the next step. Uh, if you Yeah, so to there's WhatsApp enough respect
1: like where now I look at you as you are an authority on this subject, whatever the subject is. Maybe it's widgets. And now I see why, but I believe that you are an authority. I have elevated you to a mental-themed conversation or story that I'm making up about you that you're an authority on X, widgets, mm-hmm. whatever. Now, when you make me an offer... Because what you've done is you've gained my attention, you've built extreme interest. Otherwise, I would never ever be willing to elevate you to an authority respect based conversation, and you've uh, now built up that that uh, rapport level with me enough or deep enough where I'm willing to trust you enough and respect you enough to make a buying decision. Now that buying decision might be to Exchange money with you personally on some level. Or it might be to trust you that when you say, hey, you need to go check out Joshua or Dan, for example, that because I now respect your opinion so much, that I now go to Dan's site and you don't just tell me to go to Dan's site. You say, you know, you need to buy this or whatever you know, I mean, however you do it, you now, the halo effect now spills over. And mm-hmm. because of the, the, the rapport, the respect, the authority that you have with me, I make a buying decision instantly. Now, right? it, it could be easy to think that Dan now went through all that journey that quick and that all, everything that I just said is bullshit. No, what happened was that you had the halo effect and that he just uh, hijacked, if you will, our relationship. But sure. if he came at me cold and we didn't have that kind of rapport, then what would have happened is that it would be the same journey going on. That's why in the internet space, when you know affiliate marketing and, and joint ventures and all these endorsements, it's really a false sense. Like if, you th- if something works in an endorsement state of mind or in a product launch state of mind, that's just a, 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 a syndicate. Where they're passing the same dollar around th- through the the launches, like you launch this week, and I'll put everybody to your launch. Right. I launch next week. You're going to put me and everybody else to my launch. And basically, all we're doing is we're passing the same dollar around, um, strategically. Right. <laughs> um, but what ends up happening is that. Well, first of all, the, the customer, the client loses because nothing ever gets accomplished because they're always distracted with the next bright, shiny object that comes right. along, and they don't get any value from whatever it is that they've engaged in because now they're just addicted to, you know, the the next launch or the next thing that's going to uh, fix me, and so it breeds into that the business opportunity mindset of you know n- buying stuff and letting them sit on the shelf or. Or bitching about the next thing, the next person that screwed me and that lied to me that it d- didn't work. Um, so the the tangent there is an important one to get because it's tied right into the 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 cost of that first sale. Now it doesn't mean that you have heart share marketing with me yet. When you're an authority, you have a you, you have an authority, but you can screw that up bad mm. if if you. Step out of line one time because, in a sense, you're still on a, a certain kind of probation. Like, all right, please, I'm going to buy from you. I'm going to trust you enough. Don't betray the respect that I'm showing you uh, to to take action based on your recommendation. Mm-hmm. If you do, if there's an incongruency, if there's a if there's the slightest thing, even if it's subliminal and and you don't know it in your process. Like eight thousand upsells before you can exit out of there, and a forced continuity that you can't ever unsubscribe from, and this and that. Yeah, you make a lot of money, but you burn bridges because I'm never going to do business with you again. And that's Mm -hmm. still at that that first sale is fragile. Mm -hmm. It's fragile, but if you elevate to the next level, which is basically just expectation management, make an offer, make a promise, and then fulfill on that promise. But do it in a way that's even bigger. Uh, I think the example that I use in the profit profit book is the the golden eggs. Um, The the you know if if in order to elevate you to the sixth level, which is where I'm now looking at you, and that's really like a deep level of influence over me. I now are saying that you're a leader, right? Mm -hmm. But if, for example, on the offer where you've got the respect and you've got the authority, and I make a purchase, and what you told me was that you're you're getting the goose that lays the golden eggs and you can have as many golden eggs as you want and and every week they'll pop out a few more and then i find out that what actually gets delivered to me is 10 golden eggs mm. now in your mind you might say well shit i'm giving tons of value but in my mind you just screwed me
0: right because, because you ne- you told you me no longer, that
1: it was going to yeah you're it not de- goose- you're
0: still dependent on them for not giving them the goose
1: well you for lied person- to me Right. You lied to me, plain and simple. I mean, that's they they may not express it that way. They may not even know it in their heart that that's what's going on. But that's what they feel at the court. Like you you screwed me. You lied to me. Mm -hmm. Right. Now, if on the other hand, you tell me that you're going to you're going to get five golden eggs. And you, you talk about the value of these golden eggs and how they are going to do that. And that's the, the authority that I make the buying decision on. And when you actually deliver it, it, in fact, it's seven or 10 golden eggs as a surprise expectation. Whoa. Right. Now I'm ecstatic. And maybe there's a way that you can you know, timeshare a golden goose, the, the, the goose that lays the golden eggs with somebody downstream. But now you haven't blown any kind of credibility because you have it was better than what you said it was going to be. It was more value. You actually do care about me as a person, as what I'm trying to accomplish. You're really, truly trying to serve me and help me, you know, accomplish whatever it is that I, you know, made the buying decision about. And so now I'm going to look to you as a leader. And then the final step is basically, it the the it, it's not hard to get. Fr- it's time in the saddle to go from you're a leader to you're my trusted advisor. You're my consigliere. I am not going to you know. It's like the the doctor uh, or lawyer principle um, with somebody. I'm not saying that somebody that you don't have the trust with. But it, if your doctor and you you believe them, you trust them. You, it, and or a lawyer in the same situation tells you to do X and they give you the prescription or the course of action that you're supposed to do. There's no pushback unless mm-hmm. of course that you, you know, it's just, you do it. You you don't even give it a second thought. And that's the trusted advisor. That's the Oprah effect. And that's the seventh level. And really going from uh, authority through leadership to the, um, uh, the trusted advisor, advisor side of it. Yeah. Is, really just a matter of timing in the saddle and everybody moves at their own pace, but they get to choose when they elevate you from one to the next, to the next. Mm-hmm. And at any point in time, they can, you can be demoted because it's up to them as to how they think about you. Um, and so you like the example that I love using is, is um, antenna gate with Apple and Steve jobs. Um you know, when, when they came out with the iPhone three or something, or maybe it was the iPhone four um, it was quote unquote, antenna gate. And
0: he yeah, I love his- that. I checked out the video. It's I'll have to link that up in the show notes, but continue. It's a hilarious video.
1: Yeah. And it's awesome, but it just goes to show you exactly how the, the power of how he ha- handled it. Like when problems occur, when um, uh, shit happens, that's your fault. And when shit happens, that isn't your fault, but it happens anyway. Then the buck stops with you. And and by the way, it's going to happen. The shit's going to hit the fan. And and, and, and that can be an opportunity to increase your heart share with these people, or it can be an opportunity for them to demote you and get really pissed off at you and, and them's fighting words, right? Yeah, Um, and maybe we.
0: I don't. I want to just make sure people understand what that example was, and and you can correct me if I'm wrong. But basically, it was like when Apple released a new version of an iPhone, there was a certain spot where if you held the phone in a way, it would decrease the amount of reception that you got, and people were pissed off. And so Steve Jobs went up on stage, and he basically just leveraged the fact that this was happening. He didn't try to hide from it, but like he was able to actually lead his people through saying, "Hey, we make mistakes," and he turned it into a marketing opportunity to really earn the trust of people instead of trying to like shove it in the back corner, pretend it didn't happen. He brought it to the stage. He saw right. what people were doing with it and he turned it into a conversation. And so that's what we're talking about or uh, as far as like being able to be a true advisor or leader
1: is that's where you earn that trust from people is when you do things like that. And then somebody that that he had and that Apple had heart share with took it upon themselves to write this song and and produce it called, yeah. you know, like, like when did the, the <laughs> yeah. deaf, when you have the death grip on the phone and you know if you don't like it don't buy it and it was hilarious and it, it talked all about it and so what does steve do he opens the whole convention playing that um that song and even though it was self-serving but what he's doing also is then he's he's going to spin the whole thing by the end of it you're you're like if you're not an a- apple zealot you're like you have to be after this because he's he's just you you've he's enrolled you or you've enrolled yourself in what he's doing, but now you're, and he gave you something, but also what he did was when he showed that video, it wasn't his, he didn't produce it. He didn't know, the, know that it existed, but he ended up adding it to his press conference, to his big, you know, announcement. What does that say to the person that did it and the rest of the Apple community that he cares mm. about them? Right. And that he's acknowledging them, that he sees them, that, that, you know, so now it makes more people want to take up defense of Apple when anything happens. Try to tell somebody that an Apple product is inferior, that's a true Apple believer. And they're going to tell you, you know, why you're absolutely wrong and irrationally to the point, like mm-hmm. even if it's proven with like scientific evidence that yeah. that <laughs> you know, something else is actually better and has better functionality does not matter to us. And I'm part of that group, right? right? Like it's just, it's a part of our DNA almost. Yeah. Okay.
0: So if I could try to synthesize and you can correct me if I'm wrong. So in the beginning, we talked about heart share marketing, kind of the overview of it going from attention to owning someone's mind share to owning heart share. And then we expanded on Joshua's A to A framework, which is basically asshole to advisor. So the steps are going from asshole to pest to probation. And if I were trying to paint a picture in the in you, the listener's mind right now, at least, and Joshua, you can correct me, but like, is it correct in saying that the asshole passed probation, that's part of the attention part of the beginning, right? Is that where we, sure. we bridge there? And then, then we move to you're like me and authority, and that's kind of bridging to we're going from attention to mind share. And you're then the last trust part
1: and respect with those two steps.
0: Right. And then, and then we go from leader to advisor, which is really moving into the heart share component of developing the real relationship with people where they're able to really trust you. And this is just brilliant because so many people don't understand this. And like, this is very enlightening for me reading through your profit profit and going through your A to A framework after you sent me all this material. I was like, oh, this is just gold. What you're sharing here is because this is the invisible barrier that many people don't understand. And if you try to skip around these steps and it, you look at people that are crushing it, it's just like there are some invisible heart share you know components to what they're focusing on that really make the magic sauce happen so i i just want to give give you a sincere compliment and like all the stuff okay. that i've i've had the opportunity to go through like this is just so eye opening and i love that you've peeled back the curtains on your experience and really showing what people was possible with this oh, well thank you
1: um i i do think it's a missing ingredient um that that people just don't understand um you know and if 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 you tie it all together Um, with what we said in the beginning about the Fred stories and the quote, Vladimir's blindness and, and, and all of that, and you tie it all in. And now you're, you're rowing your boat in a direction that you want to be rowing in and you know who you want to serve and who you can serve and who you want to create. And, and equally as important is who you don't want. Like that whole journey of, of asshole to advisor is the people that you don't want, you want them to continue to opt out and think of you as an asshole because you don't want them because you can't serve them. Right. Instead of trying to appeal to everybody all the time, you now narrow it down. And, and I guess the, the one thing that I think might make this a little bit more clear, at least on the seven levels is, is simply this, that marketing is just a, a, a story of relationship building. And really all of us have mental conversations that we're running in our head. And as a marketer or a business person, you're entering your uh, prospects or your audience's mental conversations, but you can't enter it where you are and what you mm-hmm. want. You've got to enter what the conversation that's already going on in their mind in order to, and, the, and you, depending on where you're entering it and, and the amount of credibility and respect and rapport that you have with them you may or may not be able to direct it quickly to something else. You may have to go through the, the journey of elevating their conversations and just tweaking it from, you know, the asshole conversation, mental conversation that they're running about mm-hmm. you to you're a pest. And it's a lot easier to make that bridge and then pest to uh, probation, probation to, hey, you're just like me, actually. And then proba- uh, you're just like me to authority, leadership, and advisor.
0: Yeah, I would say too if you're if you're listening to this, one of the one of the OG copywriting books you can get is Breakthrough Advertising by Eugene Schwartz. And this kind of reminds me of the stages of awareness. This is one of those levels of epiphanies that people have is because in Breakthrough Advertising, he talks about how customers are in different stages of awareness at different times. And the more that you can understand that, enter that conversation. And Eugene takes it from a different perspective. But this is another level of what Joshua was talking about today is understanding what part of the conversation they're having in your head. Are you the asshole or the authority is going to change how you need to create your content and your copy and your products and the, the, the funnels? that you create to really communicate with them in the most effective way possible. So um, Joshua, thank you. If you use those
1: seven as a theme, right? As a story theme to to go by and you think of them as those are the type themed conversations and you you design your videos or your your copy or whatever to each of those themes to let them elevate at whatever level and however fast they want to do. I think you'll find that you create a much faster flow through that will actually strategically bring people through a lot quicker and they go at their own pace. And because they're in the driver's seat, it usually ends up going faster. Yeah. Well, thank you for giving us a true golden goose today.
0: This is absolutely incredible. And I look forward to seeing the eggs that it's going to lay in the audience. And also I'm going to be stealing this and using this as well. So I really, really appreciate that. I know we could keep going. You're super generous with your time. So I just want to say thank you so much for sharing all this value with us. But if you could kind of make sure that the person listening to this right now, I was, I'm trying to get better at speaking to one person instead of, so if you're listening to this and not anyone else, just me, you and Joshua hanging out right now, if they could only get one thing from this conversation, what, would it be that you would want to make sure they took away?
1: Well, it depends on which side of the equation. But if you're talking about the marketing and the young side of the equation and the business development, um, I would advise people to remember that it's a process of relationship building and that it's all about uh, emails. And until you get somebody to actually opt in and build a relationship with them that, that you're in control of on an email basis, you don't have any kind of real in-depth relationship with them. And having said that, the, the business starts, your business starts with the first opt-in, just the first one. And so, if you focus in on that, whether it's Facebook, whether it's groups, whether it's LinkedIn or whatever, and and your goal is to bring people through the A to A process, but it it the journey that when they get to to actually opting in, that they they become a part of your your communication vehicle, that you're building your own platform via email. So that would be the the you know I think the the longest missed thing right it's been this way f- for a long time in the I- internet world but i think even it's more prevalent now because it's not sexy email oh email's dead email doesn't work anymore. <laughs> oh yeah the way you're doing it doesn't work anymore but or the, whoever's saying that wants to sell you you know some other thing that is right you know quote unquote the email killer but you know it it, it begins and ends there that's how if you want to build a long-term business model that has perpetual income, perpetual influence, and perpetual impact that serves people and that elevates like a Jeff Walker type business model, um, then it's, it, it's got to be the engine, the heart is email and building your relationship, your rapport via email. And it always okay, so starts with the first one.
0: So that's your suggestion for the yang side of the equation. So for the, the yin side of the equation, what's your what's the final parting bow on that?
1: What are we really trying to accomplish here? Like truly give yourself permission to think about like, why did you choose the vision that you have? Was it a true vision of your own or was it somebody else's vision or did you adapt it? And is that still what you want for what you're looking to create in the world? And, you know, really get clear about that. Now, I would not recommend that you do what I did in 2009 when I came back from Necker Island, which is I pulled the plug on everything within six months. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I wouldn't recommend, but you can do, you know, you don't have to lift the anchor all the way into the boat. You can lift it, you know, into the, uh, into the barge. You can lift it just an inch off the bottom of the, the ocean, and then the the current can start to change it. So if you're clear about where are we going, where are we going? And where is it that I say, not anybody else, but where is it that I say I want to go? And that I'm clear that that's what I truly want to accomplish with whatever it is that I'm doing. So that when I get there, I'm going to be happy that I'm there, not just about measuring, you know, the different aspects of it, then um, the two go hand in hand. And, and um you know, Obviously, there's a lot more into r and d in your Fred stories and all of that, and, and I'm happy to come back and talk more in depth at a different time about um, any of this stuff um, or or not because I know I can go rambling on and on and on. And on.
0: <laughs> I'm so great so grateful for you being on here so grateful for all the the knowledge that you, and wisdom that you've shared and this is distilled knowledge for you listening to this right now. Like Joshua's been in the trenches for years and this is incredible to to hear what he's kind of consolidated after all this. So, final question Joshua as we wrap up for today, where can people find out more about what you're focused on right now and keep in the loop with the other incredible content you're
1: creating? Clarityawaits.com Clarity, clarity Awaits. Yep, clarityawaits.com. Um, I'm in the process of setting up what I'm calling the Clarity Experiment. And uh, I think you'll find a lot of really valuable insights, including more in depth on Fred and a whole bunch of other stuff. Marketing, you know, the yin and the yang side of the equations. Um, and uh, there's a Facebook group and YouTube channel that I'm creating. And um, awesome. it, it's it's going from there. But that's the cool. b- best way. To stay cool.
0: Clarity, clarity equals power. And the first time Joshua and I connected, we were making fun. I was like, I have a, I have a domain problem. I own like 50 domains. And he's like, I've owned like 2,000 domains. I was like, mic drop right there. So that's one of the incredible things that Joshua has going on is clarityawaits.com. Make sure to check it out. And clarity I'm proud of myself. Power. I'm under
1: 300 now.
0: <laughs> under 300. <laughs> I'm using you as an example. Whenever people make fun of me for the amount of domains I have, I'm like, well, Joshua Chaper had 2,000. So I'm I'm good up until that limit, which I probably won't ever hit that. But (laughs) awesome. Well, thank you so much, Joshua. I really, really appreciate your time here. And
1: I look forward to continuing the conversation, my friend. Oh man, awesome. I appreciate you, Brandon. It's so, so awesome. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Hey, it's Brandon here again, and I have a quick favor to ask before you head off, and that is if you are listening to my voice right now and you are currently using either Apple Podcasts or Spotify, it would help me a ton if you could stop what you're doing, take five seconds to tap the number of stars that you think the show deserves. So if you're on Spotify, there's a place to add a star rating right underneath the name of the show. And if you're listening on Apple, just scroll down where you're seeing all the episodes and there's something that says tap to rate. Just tap the number of the stars that you think the show deserves. And you may not know this, but I typically spend over five hours of my own time each week